Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. This is Liz Clark. I'm Vice President for Policy and Research at Nakubo, and welcome to another episode of Nakubo in Brief. Today, I'm joined by Jed Shivers from the University of North Dakota and Steve Stabil from the New School in New York City. Let's do some introductions, and Jed and Steve, if I could each have you tell me a little bit about yourself. Jed. Hi, Liz. Uh, first, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. Um, so I've actually been in higher education administration for the last, for 36 years, uh, running medical schools. And for the last 14 months, I've been uh, vice president at the University of North Dakota, which has been a wonderful experience. And great. Steve. Liz, great. also great to be here. Uh, actually, totally different than Jed. This is actually my first experience in higher education and, and also a not-for-profit. I, I joined the new school in 2008. Prior, prior to that, my entire career is in the for-profit sector. On today's episode, we're actually going to be speaking a bit about the physical footprint of colleges and universities and how you plan for buildings, uh, growth, or perhaps limitations. Uh, but let's start with a basic understanding of each of your campuses. You're from two very different states, and each of you have very different physical footprints. So uh, why don't we start with Steve this time? Sure. Okay, so we are right in Greenwich Village, uh, right in the heart of Manhattan, so you cannot get more urban than that. Uh, We're about 1.6 million square feet. Of that, only one building, which is less than a quarter of that space, is purpose-built. Everything else is either leased or owned, uh, renovated for purpose. And I guess the one thing I should add is very interesting is that we are vertically challenged. We're a vertical campus, lots of floors, elevators are always an issue. Fascinating. Uh, I am also fascinated by that. I I think that uh, it really is true, particularly in large cities, that you take space where and when you can find it. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that is perhaps very different from the experience in North Dakota. So, uh, Jed, tell us more about your experience. So, we're um, in Grand Forks, a city of about 65,000 people in a state that has 750,000 people, but is actually quite large, uh, right along the Red River Valley bordering Minnesota. Uh, we have about 7 million square feet of total space on a campus that's about 521 acres. Total enrollment about uh, just under 14,000. Coming from Nakubo, when people come to us to hear or learn more about college finances, most of the time that focuses on tuition and how much students and families pay. 
And we've tried to use this podcast from time to time to help the general public understand the expenses that institutions have to cover, that institutions have bills to pay. And one area where colleges and universities face significant expense is related to space. Nakubo estimates that colleges and universities operate more than 5 billion square feet of space, spend an estimated $14 billion annually on operations and maintenance, and another 6 to $7 billion annually in energy and utility costs. So let's talk about your work as a business officer and how you manage campus space needs and the expenses that come with them. You're quite different from one another, and I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Uh, let's start out with a question about deferred maintenance versus growth. These are pressures we hear about from campuses across the board. Uh, Jed, why don't you start? What kind of deferred maintenance pressures do you have versus pressure for growth? So uh, in our case, uh, our recession actually took place later than the rest of the United States. It occurred as the oil price dropped in about uh, three or four years ago. And uh, the result was a significant decrease in uh, state support after many, many years of increasing state support. So with that backdrop, um, the uh, deferred maintenance problem became quite acute. We estimate it's at least $500 million across our campus. And uh, so we've really done two things. Uh, the first is we've made it quite a big deal in public about the deferred maintenance issue. And uh, and we've also devoted about uh, one each time we raise tuition, one of those percentage points increase goes strictly to uh, for a deferred maintenance fund, which we utilize to help support the buildings on the campus. The other thing that we do is we're really actively using our economic system to consolidate the total square footage of our space. So we're really, even though we're not that big, we're quite a comprehensive university. Med school, law school, engineering school, aerospace school, education, nursing, arts and science, etc. And uh, so what we're really trying to do is consolidate our buildings and bring down buildings, which has its own set of, con of concerning items for our community, while at the same time, uh, slowly as dollars are available, uh, you know, either renovate or replace buildings on campus. We just recently recently got approval to build a new Memorial Union, for example, to replace the 60-year-old building that we have on campus now. Bringing down buildings can often have an emotional reaction on campus. Can you speak to any experience with that? I have a very direct experience of it, and it's something that really requires an immense amount of communication and collaboration with the local community. Uh, there's a very active uh, our, our university founded in 1883, really before the state was a state. Uh, some of these buildings have enormous emotional ties to the community, and so you just have to be very sensitive, and you have to be strategic. You've got to lay out, you know, the reasons why you may be taking down building A while you're preserving building B, and uh, we work through that all the time. Uh, it has caused consternation in our community, no two ways about it, although people recognize the necessity of it. Uh, and we're going to continue to do it. So uh, we really have to work very closely with our community and in our state to make sure that we don't, we kind of thread that lean, that needle quite carefully. That's not just planning on spreadsheets, but that's planning with the communications team and the public relations team. Absolutely. It's critical. 
Have students been involved in any of those conversations? Uh, they have, most definitely have been. In fact, the home, the drive to replace Memorial Union really was a student-initiated, uh, over multiple years, a student-initiated project. It's really funded by the bond issue. It's really funded by student fees. So uh, that has been a, you know, a very profound student uh, item. In terms of buildings coming down, I think uh, you know students that have a long family legacy of attending the university have an attachment to buildings. Uh, students that don't have that, you know, are looking forward to the new functionality of new facilities. So there's a bit of a yin and a yang there, I'd say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, is deferred maintenance as much of an issue when you have uh, a significant portion of your portfolio under lease? And and how does that play out? And, and what does the bigger long-term facilities planning picture look like for you? Sure. Uh, and to answer the first question, absolutely. Um, deferred maintenance is a an integral part of our every annual Every annual capital budget, very important, important line for us. One of the things that happens that's very interesting for us is that we find, particularly in in, in the leaning towards technology in so many of our uh, so many of our programs, that there's a need to refresh. And in that renovation and refreshing, that maintenance gets sucked up in that. But even besides that, uh, it, it's a focus for sure. Um, the one thing that is, I'm talking about about the growth issue, and that's important really for us too. Our strategic plan lays out a 10,000 student envelope. So we're not looking to see enrollment growth. So what we're looking to do is do two things uh, on 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 the space side. One is to try to make the most efficient use of space, multi-purpose space. We have uh, task time where we have lots of work that needs to be done by students outside of the classroom. So they need the space to do that. So you need to have spaces available uh, that do double duty or triple duty in some cases. Uh, and the second, of course, is efficiency. So that's another uh, annual line in our capital budget to invest significantly in, in energy efficiency and other sustainability initiatives on the space. So I have a couple of offshoot questions related to that. We've been hearing at Nakubo about more creativity in use of facilities both during summer months and also in non-traditional hours. Do either of you have stories to share about new or creative uses based on time or time of year? I would say uh, we we are constantly looking to expand the envelope, um, particularly in the summer. But I don't think that we're doing anything different than probably anybody is in that regard. <laughs> uh, so you also mentioned that in a, you're trying to innovate and be more efficient. And technology changes rapidly. And I think many of us find efficiencies from new technologies in our daily lives, just looking at apps on our phone or technologies that have come into our homes. But there's a cost to changing technology. Can you speak to how you're responding to that and perhaps how changing technology may have may or may not have cost implications? So I think without trying to sound cliche, you want to be... Um as flexible as you possibly can. Uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier is that we have a single-purpose built building. Just in the time, in the five-year arc of planning and finally opening that building, uh, in that initial plan, we had um, computer rooms and centers where students could go. And, and now, not something that you need. The space needs to be repurposed. So you need to be able to kind of, uh, as best you can, change the use of the space and try to accommodate the technology. The other piece is for on the programmatic side. Um, we have the need for 
AR and VR and XR technologies to be used used in uh, in instruction. So you need to add those spaces and try to find space that can can do double duty in those regards. So I think in our case, uh, actually not all that similar when you think about it. So uh, we are definitely moving, you know, into more and more active learning space. And so every year we work through the uh, list of the larger lecture halls that we're going to convert from the standard didactic, you know, approach to active learning. That's been going on for a little while now. Uh, we also are, you know, getting more and more into, you know, virtual reality type spaces, especially as it relates to engineering. I think it'll start to come in terms of aerospace. Uh, and uh, so I think, you know, I would say ours is a mostly an adaption uh, as we have the dollars and we have the clear programmatic need. Uh, the one interesting wrinkle in ours, our campus is that we have to make sure we're not going to improve a building that we don't plan to have around for a long period of time. So because we're starting to take down buildings, we're really concentrating our efforts on a set of buildings that we know are going to continue, whether those buildings are legacy buildings or to be constructed. Let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about facilities financing. Uh, how has the interest rate environment affected your planning over the past 10 years, uh, particularly since the Great Recession? I know that uh, building an educational facility and particularly building research facilities is quite costly. Can you speak about some of the thoughts you consider as you plan to finance these projects? So, uh, from our perspective, uh, it was pretty interesting because, as I said, there, we had a delayed recession uh, in North Dakota. And the most interesting that took, the thing that took place while most of the rest of the country was in recession was that North Dakota built a fair number of buildings just by appropriating cash. And so the North Dakota Building Authority, which was available as a bonding entity, a bonding vehicle to do uh, financing, uh, was relatively moribund except for refinancing for that entire period. It's now come back, uh, and I think in part because of a very favorable interest rate. So uh, the um, you know I think there's a number of uh, buildings that will be built in the university system. In our particular case, we have a thirty million dollar deferred maintenance bond that we're going to be putting out using that uh, building authority. And uh, we hope for a favorable interest rate as a result of that. So I think it's really, you know, a good time from a financial perspective to utilize debt as a vehicle for, uh, you know, making those kinds of improvements. I would, yeah, absolutely second that. Um, we, subsequent to the recession, obviously, we, we as many people did, took opportunity to, to refund or advance refund various various vehicles. Uh, one of the things, uh, particularly as we approached um, the November election in, in 2016, we had on the horizon, we were purchasing a building subsequent to that and were able to work out um, loading that debt prior to the election and then buying the building actually months later. Uh, we just wanted to be sure that we didn't have the uncertainty of what was going to happen with the eventual, as we saw in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, the elimination of advance refunding. At Nakubo, we did follow that issue closely, and we continue to advocate for the return of advance refunding. We see a lot of value in the ability of finance officers like you to have options on the table, because we know just... Uh, uh, a small change in an interest rate can mean hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars on your balance sheets. So we at Nakubo do advocate for the return of advance refunding. 
Steve, at the new school, do you make use of both tax-exempt bonds as well as taxable bonds? We we do. Uh, we actually issued in the in the uh, issuance that I mentioned earlier, just but just in November 2016, that was a combination of taxable and tax-exempt. Uh, the taxable portion was specifically to address an issue where the facility that we were purchasing. Uh, would be occupied on a commercial basis. So you'd have the private private use issue uh, work through that transaction, so that uh, the portion of of taxable of taxable debt would cover that and solve that problem for us. So yes. So there's actually a lot of moving parts when you need to make decisions about how to finance a building. It's both the use of the building itself as well as the state of the overarching economy as to whether or not a taxable bond is even an option for an entity like yours. I am curious about the future for both of your institutions. Uh, Jed, you've actually put a focus, uh, surprising to me, on scaling back growth and closing buildings. But do you have any longer-term plans for more growth, or is it? are you more focused on dealing with the deferred maintenance issues uh, that you're trying to... So I would say our process is really twofold. On the one hand, uh, we really are, you know, really looking to strategically consolidate our campus. Uh, We have a real interest in doing uh, some P3 work uh, as it relates to student housing. Public-private partnerships. Yes, thank Mm -hmm. you. So we're in the midst of that process right now. As I said, we just are going to tear down our, just got approval this last week to tear down our Memorial Union and build a new one, which I think is going to be, in essence, an anchor development, which I hope may make our campus more attractive from a P3 perspective. Uh, I do think that we're going to continue to not only improve our existing uh, facilities, but also build some new ones. But again, I, I really do have to emphasize it's in the context of really consolidating the campus and really looking at it strategically. I I do think you can do both. I think you can qualitatively improve the campus and really reduce it fairly substantially. And given the fact that uh, we actually have, uh, you know, upwards of about 25% of our students online as opposed to traditional on-campus students, uh, in our view, that's the way to go. We really see online growth as being a significant pathway for us at this time. And uh, that's not consistent with just continuously building a larger and larger campus. I just don't think it makes sense. It's clear it, it, It's clear that the changes that you're making on campus are a response to the future of delivery of higher education and how you'll meet your mission. Absolutely. That's the idea. Uh, Steve, you mentioned that you don't predict significant changes in enrollment growth, but what does growth look like for you at the new school in light of that fact? So I, I would I would actually second second um, Jet's point with with the you know online and the different technologies that will impact um, instruction. But I would add something also, and that is really the future of work. Uh, the footprint of the administrative and back office functions and some of even the student-facing functions. You think about, say, the bursar, the changes in digital disbursements and and digital receding and and all of that. Do you really need to have that large a footprint um, facing students or back behind behind the scenes? Uh, And there's an opportunity there. For us specifically, future-wise, you referenced the amount of lease space. Our goal is to own as much of our space as possible. And we see a significant piece of that coming back in administrative space. 
That's a great point. Students, just like they're receiving their grades online now, are looking at their student account online. They're no longer waiting in lines to receive refund checks in paper. They're receiving ACH deposits directly into bank accounts. So, the nature of business operations writ large is changing the physical use of your campus. So let's shift gears again uh, a, a little bit here, Steve. You did mention energy efficiency and conservation efforts on your campus. Can you elaborate a bit more on how that affects your facilities plans? Are you engaged in any efforts to find substantial energy savings or new ways to even source energy? So uh, on the sourcing energy, not necessarily, but we do make a, a consistent in investment in our annual capital budget uh, towards energy efficiency and other sustainability efforts.、Uh, it, it's an important thing to us, both from obviously a cost standpoint, but also from、uh, a perspective of, of what we are and what we're about—the sustainability、uh, as an issue and, and efficiency as an issue. Terrific, and Jed. So、uh, we're really in an interesting situation、uh, where we're in a fairly inexpensive energy state,、uh, but、um, I think really, in some ways, remarkably, we're actually switching out of our. Coal. We have a well over a hundred year old coal fired steam plant, and、uh, through a public private partnership with Johnson Controls, we are.、Uh, Moving into and actually right now building a new steam plant, which will be natural gas,、uh, dual fuel with oil, and so we're getting into the whole new world of natural gas, which is inherently cleaner、uh, than coal, and so that's a really significant change for us.、Uh, we actually did it from an economic motivation because transportation costs associated with coal rose really substantially. And made it、uh, more expensive than the resulting natural gas plant. Oddly enough, so、uh, you know we were driven、uh, economically, but also uh, uh, from an environmental perspective. And it's going to have quite a significant effect. So instead of having this rather large, enormous coal plant, which is a dominant portion of the main quad of our uh, campus, uh, our little st-、uh, new natural gas-fired plant will be tucked away in a、uh, sort of a back. Part of the campus, and it'll change it aesthetically. It'll really、uh, reduce the carbon footprint, etc. So,、uh, I think that that's a happening thing. It'll be、uh, operational in about a year. Is that plant、uh, dedicated to the campus?、Or? Yeah. Well, actually,、uh, so it's a good question.、Uh, and in fact, we had to do uh, both uh, non, uh, you know,、uh, nonprofit and、uh, commercial loans as well when we built it. Uh, because portions of it are actually supplying,、uh, you know, users in the greater Grand Forks community,、uh, but primarily it's it's for the campus. Terrific. So that concludes my questions, but I'd like to give you both an opportunity. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your work in this space? Well, I guess you know, from my perspective, uh, uh, you know, I think the most interesting thing has been.、Uh, How we've used our sort of economic budgeting system to、uh, incentivize our colleges to give up their space, and as a shameless plug for the talk that Steve and I are going to give tomorrow,、uh, if you want to learn more about it, it'll be on tomorrow afternoon. But、uh, I think it'll be quite uh, interesting um, uh, to see、uh, how that continues.、Uh, but it's been extremely effective in using economics to.、Uh, To help people realize that space is not the asset they thought it was on an operating basis. 
Steve. So I, I would second that on, on the, the view of space. I, I think I would add this. I think we all know that none of us know what the next hundred years looks like in higher ed. That should not be a reason not to act. You need to chart a course, try to be as flexible as you possibly can, try to reduce those costs. When you look at the cost to students, obviously direct connect between the cost to deliver. So you need to figure out how to reduce that as best you can. Facilities planning certainly does require a bit of a crystal ball and a bit of the skills of being a CBO of the future today. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Nakubo in Brief. Thank you. Thank you.